as learning to live in harmony with people. Uh, I remember two stories, and so I'd like to tell those to you guys today. One of them is about one of my best friends growing up named Demarcus Collins. And uh, me and Demarcus originally didn't like each other because he liked the girl I liked, and I liked the girl he liked, but she didn't like either one of us. And so we was fighting and at odds all the time. Um, and I don't really know why, because again, she didn't like us, so it was irrelevant, but in my heart and in his heart, one of us was going to get it. We never did. But it, it started fights between us, literal fights. I mean, I kicked his butt one day after school and took his lunch money. The Lord was working on me, still is today. And uh, if I'm honest, I didn't really, when I say I kicked his butt, I didn't beat him up. I literally kicked him in his back pocket and his money fell out. And so I took it. <laughs> well, my mama was like, I know I didn't give you that money. And so then I got a spanking. And then she said, you better give him that money tomorrow. So I did. And when I, when I gave him that money back, that started a friendship between us because we were both more scared of our moms than we were us. And so when he didn't eat and when I had extra money, we both got whipped. <laughs> but um, I'll tell you that story because it reminds me of a time when I was out of harmony with someone for something so simple, something like liking the same girl that didn't like us. And I think a lot of times we can judge a situation by a small detail uh, because I missed the entire fact that me and DeMarcus could be best friends for the rest of our lives if I would have just leaned into that earlier. Um, I tell you that story because I think of another time in college where there was this guy named Brandon Peters. And Brandon didn't like me, and I didn't know why. I also didn't know he didn't like me at first. I'm a pretty charming guy, so I was like, I don't know, maybe he's got stuff going on in his life. But um, I'd hang out with Justin, Brandon's friend. We'd play video games in the dorm room because they're my next-door neighbors. And uh, I'd go over and play games with Justin all the time. I was like, man, Justin's pretty cool. Every time I come over here, Brandon's like sitting on the bed. He doesn't want to hang out, whatever. I'm not really worried about him, though. Justin shares his Oreos, so I'm here for it. And eventually, uh, one day, Brandon was starving to death. I'd asked Brandon a hundred times to go to PAL with me, which was like our cafeteria. He kept saying no. I was like, well, maybe he's just not hungry in the right timing. Later on, I found out Brandon didn't like me because Brandon was racist. Um, Brandon had heard a lot about black people but never actually seen one before. And so he had his preconceptions about who we were, what we were about. Um, and so one day, I'm, I'm sitting with Justin playing video games. Justin and Brandon are about to go to eat. And then Justin realizes he's late for a test. And so like any college student who's late for a test, he ran out the door and forgot all about his lunch plans with Brandon. Brandon's starving. I said, hey, man, like, I'm down to go eat. Brandon's like, no, I'm cool. I was like, uh, we're already going that way, so we should just go eat together. He said, no, I'm, I'm really fine. But me not realizing, like, uh, he don't really like me. I'm like, we're just going to sit together. He's like, I don't want to sit alone. I know you don't want to sit alone, so we're going to sit together. And as we sat there, uh, and I got to know Brandon, he got to know me more, his walls started to melt. And over time, Brandon began, be, began to give me a shot. And Brandon began to like me. So much so that one night, uh, on a hard night when he got a call, the night before Christmas, his mother had passed away. And Brandon asked me to go home with him, of all people, a black guy. Um, what's interesting about that is his family was still racist. They still had their preconceived notions. But in his time of need, he asked a man who he would have never asked before to go home with him. 
What I've learned through my lifetime is that it's not easy being in harmony with people. In fact, it can be challenging, it can be difficult, especially because sometimes they don't like you and sometimes you don't like them. And a lot of times it can be for a bad reason, but we are still called to love one another, no matter what. And uh, I tell you all that to tell you today, like Brandon and I are still friends, I got to go to his wedding. DeMarcus is going to be at my wedding. Um, and what I've learned is it's easier to be at harmony with people than it is to be against them. So I hope that's prepared you for the, uh, Drew's message today on harmony and uh, how the church should be at harmony. Thank you, guys. Thanks, uh, Samuel. Thanks for a number of things, for uh, sharing that, but also just uh, being willing to just... Roll with the punches as things change. Uh, on top of that, I had a couple references in here to your children's sermon, so I really wanted you to say it so I could, wouldn't have to change my sermon on the fly. So that, that helps. Um, but as we are in this, this journey through the book of Romans, which is really all about harmony, particularly harmony in the, the, the church, um, and we'll see today, and as Samuel was sharing, you know, how differences between us can cause conflict, which can separate us instead of unify us. Um, and, and what we'll see in Romans is that God wants us in the church to be in harmony. Today, specifically, what we're going to look at is, is how we use individually, um, how do we use the power, the influence, the, the resource that God has given us when we're in positions of strength? How do we use that to build harmony? How, how do we use that to accomplish um, unity? You know, you, like Samuel just shared, you're in a position of power, you can use it to kick somebody or you can go to lunch with them. And one will build harmony, the other one won't. And so how, what, what principles does God give us here through the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans to, to know how we use the influence that we have, the power that we have in order to make um, harmony. Yeah, I, I think uh, for me personally, there's a number of positions that I'm in where I have authority, you know, where I have influence and power as a, as a father, as a, as a pastor, as a, a supervisor, a boss, as a homeowner, as a citizen, as a community member, as a friend. You know, all of those ways I have influence and authority and, and power o- over and with um, others. And, and you do too. Every, every one of you who are hearing this have, have influence and power and authority in, in some way, um, with and over other people. And so we want to know how do we use that? How do we steward that? Uh, in a way that Jesus would honor um, Jesus. Now, um, what we'll look at in our passage today, and we've, as we've been looking at Romans, remember Romans, so Paul's writing to the church in Rome, there are probably five little house churches that are there, maybe 120 people, and he sends Phoebe to take the letter, to read it to each one, to, to then to engage with them in one sitting. They'll, they'll read the whole letter, they'll talk about it, and, and, and Phoebe will be the, the teacher, the leader that's there in each one of those settings. And, and we uh, learned in the last couple of weeks uh, that Paul has two groups of people that he's talking to, the strong and the weak. 
And uh, the, the strong are primarily the Gentile converts, you know, the pagans who are now following Jesus. But they're not all Gentiles, they're also Jews. We see in our passage today that Paul considers himself one of the strong. Um, then the other are the, the weak. And the, the weak are primarily Jews who still holding on to some of their, their traditions and the religious laws of the Old Testament, you know, about uh, what foods you can eat and can't eat, what days are special, what kind of feast days you have to keep and not to keep, those kind of religious laws. And, and what Paul is teaching them is that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come, who has completed, fulfilled all of those laws. So we no longer have to keep them. And Paul is saying, all food is clean and all days are the same. Um, and so we no longer have to keep those days. But the, the weak are those that, that can't let go of that. Understandably so. They've been doing it for generations. And they've been formed. Their family's done it their whole lives. And so, no, what do you mean I can eat bacon? You know, no, I can't. Now, for some of you, I know that's a shock to think that would be the case. But... That was the, the case for them. And they, they can't. But Paul's saying, they're the weak. So how then do the strong, who are correct, they're theologically correct, how do they engage with the weak? And that's what we'll see. How does that build harmony? What's the responsibility here? That, that's what we'll see in our passage, which is Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. I invite you to, to find that however you might uh, be able to find it. Um, it might be in your... Is it printed on the paper that you got? Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you, Daryl. Um, uh, thank you, Joe. And for those who are handing those out and uh, went and did that uh, in a flurry of 20 minutes before the service started, 30 minutes before the service started. So thank you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we again give you thanks for your word that teaches us. And we pray that you'll help each one of us to know how this applies in our lives specifically and how it applies to us as a church. Because we, we do want to pursue uh, what you have for us in your power and according to your plan. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, and for those of you that are home or watching this, I don't know if it's able to make the screen or not either. But if not, feel free to grab a Bible and read along. Romans 15. We who are strong. Now, even there, you see how Paul, he says, I'm part of you. I'm part of the strong. So the Apostle Paul is leader of the church in that, that day, the, the, the primary missionary of the church. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Now, the first thing that I want you to, to see here, and this is a common thing in the New Testament. Over and over again, you'll hear this. Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example for how we're to use our power, our influence over others. In the beginning of the passage, he says, verse 3, he says that Christ did not use his power for himself. And even quotes from a, a psalm. He says, what, what you deserve fell on me. So Jesus didn't use his power for himself. The same thing at the end of the passage. He says, now we're to welcome one another just like Christ welcomed you. Jesus is our example here. And so Paul wants to make that clear. So just like Jesus, don't use your influence. Don't use your power to get what you want. That's not a common phrase. That's not a common way that we operate. Don't use your power, your influence to get what you want. That's not how our society seems to work. I mean, we get power so that we get what we want, right? We get resource, we get influence so that we can get what we want. But that's not the way of Jesus. In my my family, one of the favorite family stories for most of us, uh, save one person, it was a time when got a call from the house, which was a number of years ago, and, uh, in the office saying, Dad, when are you coming home? Oh, I don't know. I got a little bit more to do. Be home. Well, um, can you call and make a pizza order, you know, 20 minutes before you're leaving, and then just pick up the pizza and bring it home for dinner? Sure, I, I can do that. All right, well, this is what we want. And, and so give you the list of what they want. And we, we want a Hawaiian pizza. You know, that's the Canadian bacon and pineapple and that kind of thing. And not everybody in the family likes that, but some do. And they, But the place we went, they would put banana peppers on the Hawaiian. And they said, but don't put the banana peppers on. And I'm like, well, why? The banana peppers are good. And they're like, no, they're terrible. And well, well, you can just pick them off. No, we can't pick them off. It flavors it still and it's terrible. So don't don't do that. All right, I got it. So I call, make the order, and I just say, yeah, give me a Hawaiian. That was all that I said. And then ordered the next pizza. And then I came home, we opened the pizza, and they're like, Dad, we told you no banana peppers, but you still did it. We, we, I'll just pick them off. No, we can't eat it because it makes them flavor. That's terrible. And none of them ate it. Now, I got the whole banana pe- Hawaiian pizza to myself. Um, but I uh, figured, you know, I was the one making the order. I was the one paying for it. I was the one bringing it home. I had the power. I was going to use it to get what I wanted. And now, the rest of my life, my family just says banana peppers whenever I'm acting selfish. But that's how I'm wired. I imagine that's how most of you are wired. I imagine. And and I know that's the message that we often get from um, the society in which we live. You got the power. Get what you want. But Paul, and he doesn't just say, here's a good idea. This will really be helpful in life most. Did you see the language that he uses here? You're obligated As a follower of Jesus, you have an obligation. If you have resource, you have power, you have influence, you have an obligation to steward that resource, to steward that power, to care for those that are the weaker who are around you. To give special attention, he says, to the failings of the weak. 
And, and he, he also adds here a zinger word here that sort of brings it back to Jesus being the example when he says neighbor. Because when you hear, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know the teachings of Jesus, you hear neighbor, what comes to your mind? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love yourself as your... Very good. Or, I'm sorry, love your blank. I, I messed up. Y'all tried to make up for me. Uh, love your blank as yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I uh, blew that one. Uh, I'll get it right second service. Which is basically, comes back to the basic point, how do we love? And, and to love as a follower of Jesus, uh, the best definition that I think for us in terms of what it means to love is to the best of your knowledge, to the best of your ability, do what will be good for your neighbor. What will build them up? To the best of your knowledge, to the best of your ability, what will be good for your neighbor? What will build them up? And you might ask, well, why? (laughs) Why should I do that? Because that's what Jesus did. And the screen proves it. What Jesus did is regularly used as an example for how we're to act. And it's what Jesus said all the time also. Right? He he said this all the time. He he, he said, if you want to be my disciple, you want to be my student, right? Then I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. That's what it means to be my disciple. If you want to be great, Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, then be a servant. He said, if you want to find your life, you you want to go grab life, well then you got to give it away. Because if you try to hold on to your life, you try to keep it, you're going to lose it. This is the message of Jesus over and over again. And, and the thing is, Jesus walked what he talked. It's exactly what he did. That he left the confines of the power of heaven, becoming human, becoming a servant to die. In order to rescue the world from our sin. So, so Paul is telling the strong in Rome there that you, you have weaker brothers and sisters. So therefore you need to use your influence and power just like Jesus did. Not, not to get what you want. Not to sing the songs that you want. Not to meet when you want. Not to eat bacon whenever you want. But to do what will build up one another. God intended for them, as he intended for us, to use our influence and power to build up others, not to secure our own pleasure. Now, let me remind you, in in Rome, these were secondary issues. They were not arguing about Jesus being the Lord and Savior of the world. They were not arguing about Jesus being God. They were committed to Jesus being God's um, uh, Messiah who'd come upon them, who was God the Son, who had died for their... They were committed to that together. It's just everything else was different. 
So there's secondary issues. You know, things like the style of someone's hair or the music they like or the clothes that they wear. Their, their political preferences, their personality traits or food choices, those kind of things. You know, so this, this truth has an application in practical ways. It has application, you know, in, in the home. I've given you a bad example of a, of bad parenting. But think of others where, where parents have to set aside those secondary issues because we want to focus on the primary ones. You know, there, there are times when style becomes secondary because what we're about, the, the, the hill we want to die on. It's another way. It was, it was Cedric. I was talking to Cedric Lowe and he, he in a, in a group, uh, a small, uh, the growth group, new growth group leaders, um, discussion of this. He says, yeah, this is like Paul saying, you gotta, you gotta figure out what hills you want to die on. You know, what, what battles do you really want to fight? Because you can't fight them all. Well, as a, a parent, this is really, we have certain position of power and, and influence. And there's things we got to recognize that are secondary because what we want is our children to learn how to love. We, we want them to, to learn this truth. That if you want to find your life, you got to give it away. We, we want our, our children to, to, to be able to stand up for the justice of God in their workplace, in their home, in their community. Yeah, so sometimes those secondary things, we gotta let those go. So that we focus on the primary one. And the same thing can happen at work. Yeah, for, for those of us that are supervisors or bosses, whenever you apply this, yeah, your, your power has been given to you so that you will build up the folks that are under your care. You want to platform them so they will flourish. That's, that's how we would apply this. In, in other settings, at home and, and at work. Now, I know, though, this can be scary, can't it? I mean, you're telling me not to use my power and influence to get what I want. Well, then who's going to look after me? If you're saying, no, don't, don't use this. If Paul's saying this, hey, I gotta, you got to use your influence in order to build up others. Who's going to take care of me? If I don't do it, who will? Well, yeah, this is where faith becomes real. And I think it's why Paul wrote verse 4. Um, let me, let me uh, read that again. Uh, 15.4 For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Now, I think what he's saying here is that God's plan feeds our hope. God's plan feeds our hope. I mean, knowing that God's the one that's superintending this, knowing that God's the one that owns everything, God is the one who is our provider, He's got a plan. And He's been working that plan since the very beginning. And He's going to fulfill His plan. And as we look back at the Scriptures, again, it's what He's saying. God, look at the Scriptures, see His plan, see God's character. We see that when God's people obey God, God provides. That God cares for them. When they're, when they're doing as, as God has called them, then God provides for their needs. So, so we see that God's plan and God's character, it feeds our hope. And we, when we recognize that God is the one who's in control, then we're willing to take this step of faith and use our power and influence not for ourselves, but for others. And what we, we do know clearly from Scripture, particularly when it comes to, to harmony, is that that's been God's plan since the very beginning. 
Since the very beginning, God has been planning and working to call together a global, wildly diverse group of human beings to come together as one centered on Jesus, glorifying God as they live according to the ways of God's kingdom. Now, in Rome, in that day, they were united around Jesus, but they were divided, arguing about theology of food and what day is more important than the other and acting in ways that must have been harmful to one another that required Paul to bring this word to them. And Paul is saying to the powerful ones, stop using your power to get your way. Do what will build up the body because... If you're building up the body, if you're leading to the harmony of the church, then you're in tune with the eternal reality of the plan of God. And in Christianity, when we say we have a hope, it's not the same thing as a wish. Well, I sure wish this would be the case. When we have a hope, we have a hope because we know this is what God is going to do. He's made it clear from beginning to the end. And the plan here that he gives for the... I mean, the people in Rome, they only had the Hebrew Scriptures. They only had what we call the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. Yet we do. We, we've got the Scriptures after Jesus was written. And so we see it clearly. Because in the book of Revelation, as you know, Jesus uh, or John uh, writes the vision that he sees of heaven. This is what eternity is. People of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and food preference, and hairstyle, and music desires are there bowed down at the throne of Jesus. So that's what we know is the eternal reality of all of creation. So if we're participating in that plan now, then we know that has eternal meaning and significance. So that's that's what I mean when I say that God's plan brings hope, particularly as we set aside those differences and those secondary issues, not standing up with our power, but relinquishing it to welcome one another. Instead of kicking one another, we sit down and have lunch in order to build that harmony around Jesus. Now, what's interesting here is that Paul did not say to them, Paul did not say what generally happens in the history of humanity. Paul did not say, y'all segregate. Y'all separate. It'll just be easier. Jews, y'all meet at this time at this place. Gentiles and those that want to meet with them, y'all meet at this time in this place. Y'all just do your own things in your own places and we'll, you know, we'll be one in the spirit. He didn't say that. And yet, historically, that's what the church has done. Throughout our history. It's not just in, a, in America that 11 o'clock uh, on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour. I mean, that, that's the, the story in South Africa. That was the story in the former uh, Czechoslovakia. That was the, the story in almost every nation in Western Europe. That, the, the story of the Orthodox and Catholic Church in the Mid-Ages, Middle Ages. I mean, that's been the story. That instead of doing this hard work of abiding by God's plan with the easy way, just sort of went our own ways. But he doesn't do that. That's not what Paul says. Stay together, work for harmony, and those of you that are in positions of influence and power, step down and go to lunch. And let's work it out. Now, Paul knows this is hard. This is hard work. And I think that's why he then gives us verse 5 and 6. 
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the, Paul moves into prayer here. Catch this? I mean, he, he's praying now. He recognizes this is a supernatural work of the divine creator. This is not something that's going to happen because of human ingenuity. This is going to happen only because God's the one that's going to make it happen and that God has planned it to happen for all of eternity, that Jesus has already accomplished this unity and the challenge is for us to live into that in the power of God. So it is God's power that feeds our harmony. God's power feeds our harmony. God's plan feeds our hope. God's power feeds our harmony. I mean, God's the one who's going to bring us the patience and perseverance to do the hard work of working toward unity. God's the one who's going to do the work of of bringing forgiveness and, and confession for when you just want to buy the pizza you want to buy and that's what you do because you can and ignore the desires of others. God's the one who's going to bring the power of, of, of self-denial, setting aside my own freedom for the benefit of others so that God's church will be unified and that God will be honored. God's the one who's going to help me set aside my preferences and really hear the preferences of others who don't have the same position that I have. So that God will be honored. God's the one who brings consistent encouragement and support. Stay on this faithful journey. Stay with it. It'd be easy to play along with the ways of the world. I mean, really, the systems of our world are dependent on me and you putting my needs and your needs first. Our whole economic system is built on that principle. We will need God's power and God's encouragement We'll to continue to keep our eyes on Jesus who lived perfectly for the needs of others to glorify God so that we would do the same. God's plan, God's power provided for Jesus and brought salvation to the world. God's plan and power can do the same even through fallible humans like me and you. That we would follow Jesus and experience God's plan and his power that will truly lead to harmony. Now, I asked uh, uh, Joe Brooks to share a story with us. Actually, uh, it was a month or so ago and, and just said, God, Joe, just share with us. You know, um, you can start coming up. Joe, where are you? Oh, he's still here. Good. Um, the... Uh, <clears throat> Just how does God's plan and power impact you? How does the fact that Jesus is alive impact you today? How, how does it? How do you use your influence for what's good? You know, for unity, for building others up. How has Jesus' example, you know, impacted you today? So, down, brother. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. For those who may not know me, my name is Joseph Brooks, and I lead a men's ministry called Ignite, which takes place here on campus every other Monday. I'm happily married to Helen Brooks, and together we have six adult kids and 19 grands. The reason I'm up here is to share a most recent God story that, sh- uh, that shows the power of Jesus working in my life. 
Actually, the story I'm about to share actually took place on the 13th of this month. While I was having a conversation with a coworker, another friend approached me, and she looked a bit rattled. I don't think she even noticed the other people around. And this particular person and I, over the years, had some really hard but respectful conversation. And she often says to me that, Jill, you're God sent. Well, getting back to the story, I don't think she even noticed the other coworkers. She grabbed my hand and said, Brother Joe, I need to talk to you. And I replied, okay. She was trembling. I looked in her eyes, and I can tell something had shook her. And then the words, uh, I'm sorry, and then her words was Joe Brooks. Joe Brooks. I said, okay, that's my name. She said, some black lady in a Mercedes, she cut me off while I was driving, and I called her the N-word, and the people around me just gasped. So I held onto her hand. As we walked away, I began asking her some questions, and one of the questions I asked her was like, all the, all the words you could have chosen, why you choose that word? And she began to ramble on and on about her past life, how she was raised, and how she was set in some of her ways. But throughout her speaking, I felt her spirit crying out. So then it just happened. I said to her, now it's time to ask Jesus for forgiveness and to come into your heart. And I prayed with her. This is how I knew that God was in control because the area I prayed with her is very busy, very active. But not one individual walked by until the prayer was completed. I then walked away, heading back to work, giving God all the glory and praise for using me as a vessel to help a dear friend of mine. She did give me permission to share this story and to even use her name, but of course I'm not. I felt this story lines up with the theme of harmony, so I leave you with this question I normally ask the guys of Ignite. How are you uh, showing sacrificial, uh, sacrificial love to someone that is hard to love? Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Just a a great uh, example of how we can use influence in in so many different ways, individual ways, even being priest. In a way, she was coming to Joe to to be absolved, you know, to be forgiven. Um, And uh, what a, in every way, each of us, if we have the message of Jesus' forgiveness, then we have power and influence to share with others when, when they and their weakness would share with us of their sin and their, their brokenness that we can receive and in the power of the gospel you know, offer them the forgiveness that Jesus gives to all of us. Um, so let's, uh, let's pray together. Almighty God, we do... Um, uh, bring all that we are to you. We need your endurance. We need your encouragement. Help us to follow Jesus so that we might glorify you. Even when it goes against the grain of the ways of the world or even our, our natural inclinations, we, we want to follow the ways of Jesus. And may you then multiply us um, uh, as uh, those that follow after Jesus in, the, in your endurance and your encouragement, building up others so that the, the ultimate result will be that harmony uh, that, that is in tune with Jesus and that glorifies your name. Uh, Almighty God, we, we pray as well for those in our midst in, in need. We continue to pray for Carl Dietzel, who is in the Mercy West Hospital, uh, for um, Cheryl Merrickhue. Pray your continued healing upon her. And Lord, we rejoice. We see Steve Tellickson here with us today and his recovery. Thank you for your healing hand upon him. 
And we, we lift up others, Lord, in, uh, um, that we know that are on our heart uh, in need of your healing and cancer or addiction. Those that are looking for work, Lord, provide that resource to them. And Lord, as we think of the world, Lord, we lift up the nation of India. And as we hear of COVID deaths and, and cases just skyrocketing there, we, we, we pray, Lord, that you would provide for um, them what is what is needed and you would uh, forgive us if, if we hoard things like vaccines that need to go and, and care or how we best distribute that lord we we lift them up to you we pray your healing hand upon them as well hear the cries of our heart as we lay ourselves um, before you for your glory and your honor in the name of jesus christ we pray amen